McDonald's. Did really? You see that? I I didn't watch. Did you watch? Didn't I send you one to watch? No, no, I watched the section, but I, I don't know. Oh yeah, I, like I might have fast forwarded into it a little bit, right. so I didn't see the uh, the opening. Um, well, they open kind of the way we do, sloppily. <laughs> Are you a Norm fan in general? Is it Listen, still too esoteric for you? <laughs> well, it's true. Is anything esoteric Is enough? Too es- exactly. So today's episode. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone. In, you know, in the future. In the future. <laughs> or the past. There was, a, you know, on Facebook, there are these videos that are sort of purport to be very deep explorations of actually very simple concepts. Yeah. I saw one that was taking itself so seriously. It was actually a guy who was trying to lay out a concept whereby we are time travelers because the future becomes the past. <laughs> inevitably, right? Like if you and I think to a day when this podcast episode is released on Halloween, that's the future. But some days after that, it will also be the past. So therefore, we have no choice but to live in the present. Wow. Deep, man. Isn't that deep? We'll live through all of it like an insomniac Rip Van Winkle. Well, today- (laughs) That's just real life. My notes today start- Candyman, because originally on our Halloween special episode, we were going to do Candyman. That's the trick. That's the trick. And the treat was getting to watch Pumpkinhead. Now, before we get to that, I just want to say, in a note to 2018 streaming content providers, (laughs) it's pretty fucking ridiculous that last night I had to spend 15 minutes Googling Candyman and teased that it was available. Have you noticed this happen sometimes on your things? So- on my TV at home, you can speak into the remote because we're idiotic human beings who develop <laughs> technology to infantilize yeah, speaking ourselves. Of time travelers. That sounds like that's the yeah. future. <laughs> yeah. You can talk into your remote rather than type. So I'm going, I'm sitting there going, Candyman. And it comes up and it says, available to stream on Hulu and Voodoo. Uh-huh. Okay. Voodoo? 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 I think it's Voodoo. 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 Yeah. V-U-D-U. I've never heard of anybody actually using it, but I've yes. heard that it does exist. I never use it except for these times of moments when yeah. it's the only streamer, and then I got to go and I got to type in the whole freaking email address. And of course, I used my long email address when I signed up instead of the short one, and I'm sitting there, I'm getting infuriated. I can search for a movie by voice command, but when yeah. it comes time to log into Voodoo, can I just say my email address? Yeah. No. Nope. Got to type on the remote screen thing, which is impossible to do. Yeah. And when you do the whole thing and you're basically, if you're like me, you're guessing at whatever password you came up when the, when you signed up for Voodoo yeah. six years ago, when you decided to watch like Big Trouble in Little China at 1230 <laughs> I, in the morning. I had to watch it at had that moment. Had to watch it at that moment. So I'm going to sign up for an account. You get the password wrong. You got to start over. Well, technologists take note. So this is a problem. Stop that research on an artificial blood supply or a cure for some disease and get on this. And guess what? You can play the trailer, but can you watch the movie? Nope. The reason why I put Candyman on there is because I remember when it had come out in the uh, late 90s. Hadn't seen it. Thought sort of nothing of it. But since then, I keep seeing people mentioning it. And it has become sort of a modern classic. So I was very interested to see, like, what did I miss so too with Pumpkinhead. Which I recommended only, well, I'm not gonna say only, I recommended because I have this friend and I had said to him, hey, we're doing a special episode for Halloween and we're thinking about some Halloween related movies. We don't wanna just do the obvious and do Halloween. Right. Here are some other ones we're thinking about. And he immediately wrote back, 
Pumpkinhead. Any any Fangoria fans out there who used to read that magazine? There was always mention of this sort of like indie horror film that everybody was like, this is so cool. And it was the directorial debut of Stan Winston, two-time right. Oscar-winning effects person. Uh, it, like Candyman, also has a very good reputation that has sort of stick, stuck around since then. And so I was glad to finally take this opportunity for full cast and crew, which we haven't mentioned yet. Which oh, is right. The, the reason the, that we're here. What is it, Chris? What this is, is full not cast the, and crew? This is not the Slate Political Gab Fest, if that's what you thought oh, you were listening right. to, if you got Darn your feeds it. mixed up. Full cast and crew is uh, your newest binge obsession where we take a film <laughs> and go down the rabbit hole of its... Full cast and crew section of its IMDb page looking for strange coincidences, funny quotes, and use it as a jumping off point for all sorts of nutty digressions. And that's what we're going to do. And Pumpkinhead will be the beginning of that. So, Jason. Yes, Chris. What did you think well, of this movie? I thought two things. The first thing I thought was I loved the first half of this so mm-hmm. much. Loved it. I thought. I'm not a horror aficionado. I like them. Mm-hmm. I enjoy seeing them. I like the somewhat closed world of the horror movie world in that I like that the fans are so intense, that there are so many strongly held opinions about the iconic horror movies. I like that we're living in a time now where there are so many fascinating and interesting ones being made. I love the opportunity to go back and watch some of these movies that like this that I haven't seen, but that I've heard people talk about so much. From the very first moment... I thought, wow, I'm in the hands of someone here who is doing something unique and different, even within this very established genre. I think that the soundtrack first, um, which given our recent legal review that Chris and I just had (laughs) for our podcast, we probably won't be able to play. Apparently libel's a thing. (laughs) Apparently. However, I thought that the subtle harmonica tones underneath the more obvious kind of horror movie strings and soundtracks was, was really cool. Um, of course, Lance Henriksen. I just loved the whole first part of the movie up until when the creature appeared. Once the creature and Pumpkinhead came in, I, I, I have to admit I lost some interest in the back half of the movie because it didn't have the Baroque creative kills that I want in a horror movie, right? Mm. Like there was one where he took a rifle from one of the protagonists, the creature, and instead <laughs> of shooting the protagonist in the chest as the guy had tried to shoot the creature, he actually just stabbed the guy through the chest with a rifle. But really every other kill was like, I'm going to drop you from a great height. I I remained interested, but I it it just it was a guy in a suit and I it didn't live up to the hype that I had in my mind about the creature. Well, I will say that my biggest problem with Pumpkinhead is that I'm not still watching it right now. (laughs) So you were all in that it ended. You were all all in. I was primed to like it because, like I said, it's yes. got a good reputation and, and the things that I heard about it. Lance Henriksen really is an actor that I – he is like, he He's so good. He's like a special effect. He is. Uh, both that voice and that craggy face are He's so good, man. just fantastic. And he is so good. There's so much like genuine yes. soul and acting ability that sort of go with all those things. So I was in – but I have to admit it delighted and impressed me in ways that I did not mm-hmm. uh, anticipate. It's definitely got flaws – you know, because this is before the sort of Sundance-created indie auteur sure. independent cinema thing. So even though there was some tradition of independent cinema, it was it's tough to get enough money and tough to get these, these sure. things made. So I'm going to, not so much as an excuse, but I understand that there are certain things that were probably less important to the filmmaker that had as much to do with like 
just wanting to get it over the finish line. So that certain elements of it um, were not as important. But the parts that he actually did focus on, including the creature and actually the premise of the story. And I think this is one of the great things about about horror is that it is such a uh, direct line to the id and such a reflection of uh, either personal or cultural anxieties. I think people sometimes make too much of the cultural and forget the personal side of it. Uh, I thought the story was fantastic, or at least let's say the, 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 origin, the premise, the, the origin, premise. the thing that what what the movie itself was about. Yeah. Uh, certain scenes and yes, certain characters were not as realistic or fleshed out or anything as as possible. And this was the feature film debut of this guy who was already a, a film person from from another side of it. It was visually beautiful. Like yeah. I loved the way. For example, when he does approach the witch to call upon Pumpkinhead. Ever hear a razorback horror? There's an old graveyard way back deep in them woods. Mountain folk used to bury kin in there. Kin they's ashamed of. Bring a shovel. The thing you're looking for. It's in there. Bring it back here. Some things I gotta do to it before it'll be any use to you. In that graveyard, how will I know? You'll know it, Harley. You'll know. She looked awesome. The not nim- just not just the nimbus of hair when, yeah. when she's front lit and he's behind her. It's so great. Not just the makeup or anything, but yes, the way that it was framed and the reds and oranges and yellows made her look incredibly detailed and creepy. It was that reminded me that film is a visual medium and that it's not just telling the story in a plot way, but c- creating a feeling in the way that you are seeing it and the amount of uh, detail and thought that went into th- mm-hmm. to actually just make these these evocative pictures, I loved. And like I said, what the actual story does turn into and the link between the monster and the person who calls upon them, uh, spoiler for Pumpkinhead. Spoiler head. alert. <laughs> you know, there's that, uh, there's that old uh, samurai phrase, like when you go for revenge, better dig two graves. Ooh, I didn't know that. Oh, you never, yeah. Is that a real samurai phrase or like an American samurai movie bastardization phrase? (sighs) That's my impression. I'm also getting this secondhand, either from movies or comic books. Yeah, something that comes up, that's a trope that comes up in uh, comic books and and movies. We should do a good samurai movie. I'd love to. I think that'd be very fun. I heard there's one called The Seven Samurai. I don't know Mm. if that's, is that pretty, is that anything? Well, I mean, if we're going to, do that. I don't want to be lost. Let's start with the first one. Okay. Go with just the, the samurai. One, I the assume. samurai. It starts with the samurai and then the seventh one, I guess, is Although, the, like the Fast and the Furious, if it's you're the seventh one. If you're really. the samurai, aren't you a ronin? Isn't a samurai by default a member of a of a, of a group or a clan? I think mm-hmm. the thing of being a ronin is your master is gone. You oh, have no master. It's a okay. masterless samurai. When I started reading about Pumpkinhead, I can't think of another movie that that's not like inspired by Edgar Allan Poe that yeah. was inspired by a poem. I was like, what? This movie is inspired by a poem? Uh, yeah. Did you look up the poem? <laughs> I looked I up f- the poem. I forgot to. And what's weird about the poem is is like, yes, it contains what you're responding to in the origin myth of of the pumpkin head creature, but it's 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 certainly not an epic poem. It's not a poem that you would that you would own a copy of in any way. I don't know. I don't. I, what I don't know is. How did they come across this poem and then decide to make a movie using that little original wrinkle as the jumping off point for the film? Because 
for those who haven't seen the movie, the the idea is the a party who's been wronged can go to a graveyard and prostrate themselves basically on the grave and and this creature emerges which enacts the revenge that the person is after but of course there's a deadly wrinkle which is that you end up giving your life and becoming the next version of the creature i wonder so from the poem what was the germ that came from it was it a description of the monster or the fact that you sort of give your soul to it well why don't i read it to you i think that's a great idea would that be a great idea Pumpkinhead poem. This is um, the original version. Okay. Keep away from Pumpkinhead unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's mean and unforgiving. Laugh at him and you're undone, but in some dreadful fashion. Vengeance he considers fun and plans it with a passion. Time will not erase or blot a plot that he has brewing. And when you think that he's forgot, he'll conjure your undoing. Bolted doors and windows barred, guard dogs prowling in the yard, won't protect you in your bed. Nothing will from Pumpkinhead. Wow. So that's the, I mean, to call it a poem is to give it a little Well, rhymes. The first part of this movie I was so in. I was so all in. A, because it kind of gave me two things that I love. On the one hand, it gave me that 80s jerks on two-cycle engines, like driving Camaros and guys and girls and beer, and we're going to a remote cabin in the woods. Really, Tracy, you know, Joel is a great guy once you get to know him. Honey, get me a beer. How much further is it to the cabin, Steve? Uh, about 50 miles. Why do you always have to carry that stupid rifle with you? Because you never know what you're going to find in the jungle, yo. Oh, sorry. Thank you, but <laughs> I think it probably knowingly does it. Like, who are the people who always die in horror movies yeah. and are always sort of asking for it? Yes. These very yep. sort of 80s stock types such jerks and it is not also, all of them yeah that's true and you know the it does a surprising thing by making the crazed hillbilly starts as sort of the antagonist but ultimately it's about them, them having more humanity right and i would even say going back to the the 80s jerks even the ones who are sort of nicer there i think there's an implication of a certain amount of complicity oh sure you're but right before- that they're, they're not all terrible but they are certainly uh they could have been better. And before we meet them, there's a long prologue where we where we see the backstory first of what we come to learn is Lance Henriksen's character as a child witnessing the pumpkin head creature taking the life of a man who had been banging on the door of a cabin. Please open the door. Oh, for God's sake, Tom, open up, please. It's after me, Tom, it's gonna get me. God in heaven, Tom. <laughs> We can't just sit here. Pastor Ellie. She has nothing to do with us. What kind of a Christian are you, for God's sakes? You gotta help me, Harley. Tom. Mama. Say to the boy. Why doesn't Daddy let the man in? He just can't. And. Young Lance Henriksen's parents would not let this 
obviously terrified, in danger person into their cabin. The guy's saying, I didn't mean to kill that girl. And Lance you know, he, Henry- said, he says, I didn't. He tries to deny oh, it. Oh, he tries to deny and it. And the only reason I mentioned that, because I was thinking when he's banging on the door trying to get in and they won't let him in, I wondered about it because, you know, is it like, is this a- I mean, innocent I knew, man or- Is it an innocent man? Is it a viral thing, a mm, virus that they're, they're right. afraid they'll get infected? Is it that they think maybe he is the monster? It could have been sort of any number of super, supernatural things. Again, one of the, the good things about this movie, you know, it's not the greatest script in the world, but all the story elements add up. And so the important information, the timing by which it is conveyed yes, good is, point. is very good and sort of, I think, helps keep the suspense underneath um, right. a lot of what goes on. And then I think, then we then we flash to sort of what's the present day of the movie's timeline. And now the boy is grown up and is a father. Um, the mother is absent and unexplained, but it's the father and his son living a very countrified, rural, but loving existence. And yeah. man- this this these two these two actors have great father son chemistry and when this kid died in his arms in the truck chris i am not ashamed to admit i was crying at home i mean Jason, i almost turned the movie, movie off it was so sad i almost turned the movie off 15 minutes before cuz i was like oh my gosh this kid is so cute oh. so sweet i was like i know he's going to to die i and, and the way I he had his arms the way he was sort of had his arms around lance henriksen yeah. and the way he just says one word this old man and he had a well, about this very very special son Daddy. yeah baby i mean my god i was i was crying i was i'm like and then i was laughing at myself i'm like this is a horror movie but it was so well done and it was so well set up and the bond between the two of them and Lance Henriksen's acting and the kids you know coke bottle glasses i think part of me flashback to my childhood you know chris you're too young to remember this, but when I was a child in the 70s, glasses technology was such that we, if you had really bad eyes like I have, you had to have thick-ass glasses, man. You're and kidding. you were mocked for that. People made fun of you. I mean, hey, you so looked weird. I'm sorry, sure. You know, but- um, um, I was so impressed with the kid. I thought it was, was like you said, it was it was loving, It did, without feeling cloying. He was even good as a obvious. dead kid. He, he did it, great yeah. dead acting, which I bet is hard to do as an actor. Yeah. Have you ever had to be dead on stage? Yes, actually, yes. It's probably hard, right? Yeah, it helps if you have other things going on. You mean so on stage? On stage? Oh, so you I, mean like in your own life? Oh gosh, you know that never crossed my mind to have more going on in my life. But like, uh, no, you, other things going on. Do you on try on stage? to control your breathing? Yeah, you like try to visibly not breathe. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to die. No you don't want to put the theater. What are the rules of playing dead? Uh, I think it's sort of that. Just have try, you ever not, had try not to move. No, there was no elective on playing dead in. in <laughs> I always mock, um, you know, our dear friend and colleague, Paul Kopp. As well, you should. Mock him? Yeah. Well, I always give him and uh, some of his colleagues, you know, my wife went to college with Paul at Carnegie Mellon, which I derisively refer to as acting college uh, <laughs> because I'm aware of what the curriculum was. And let's just say, you know, once you got there, it's not like you were churning out a 250-page thesis on European history. Right. I always say there literally was a class called Hats and Canes, okay, which that's a class that they took to work with hats and canes. So I was imagining 
to, to play dead or to play drunk. Like maybe these are things that get covered in acting school. Yeah, I would think that those things fall under just sort of the greater, the general rubric of acting and mm. with scene study. I'm a little bit surprised that hats and canes, well, but maybe if, you know, you're Have sure you ever tried would... to do that twirling a cane thing and flopping a hat and going, na 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 That's hard to do. It's hard to watch too. Full Cast and Crew is brought to you by Chuckler. Chuckler features award-winning original web series from social media's funniest comedians, as well as the best stand-up comedy, parodies, fake commercials, and interviews with your favorite comedy writers and creators. Find us and like us on Facebook. Chuckler. Original comedy. Delivered daily. Anyway, when the kid was playing dead, Chris, I was all in. And in fact, going back to the um, making it more about me, uh, <laughs> the torture, the, when, the, when the jerks show up at the little country store that Lance Hendrickson... Hendrickson and his son run, by the way, heart rending detail. Uh, the sign, <laughs> oh which like hand painted and son over the market. Yeah, I yes. don't know why I just, that got me too. like this poor father just loves his boy and his boy worships him. Anyway, the jerks show up with their dirt bikes on a trailer and their Camaro and their beer cans. And um, the one jerk makes a joke and like, Clark Kent Jr. and his girlfriend are like, hey, man, that's not cool. Like, and they come to the kid's defense, you know? Gypsy, no. Check out this kid's glasses. We're talking Coke bottles. Jesus. What? All I said we was heard a- you, man. Again, a surprising wrinkle a surprising for that era. I, yeah, that one of those things, Jeff one of those East, little details. For anyone who's not incredibly versed in 1978's Superman, yeah. he plays the young Clark Kent. Jeff East, I remember being pretty good as young Clark Kent. Yes. Uh, this, less so. Look, mister, we got something chasing us. We just want to use your truck, okay? He does fine. I think his uh, his costuming does <laughs> most, most of, the work. of the work by putting him, you know, in contrast to the guy in the leather jacket. Like, okay, John DeCino. putting him in like a sweater vest. Yeah. On John DeCino's IMDb page, I encourage everyone to I, look yeah. at <laughs> This is the ultimate insult for an actor. Like that. So the photo is of Kristen Johnson and John Lithgow in obviously a, a still from, from Third Rock, Third Rock from the Sun. And I suppose in the far background, his face partially obscured <laughs> by Kristen Johnson is John DeCino, who plays sort of the biggest jerk amongst the... 80s jerks that descend upon Lance Henriksen yeah. and his son. Um, this reminds me of one of the other funny photos that we that we talked about. Um, I think it was from Saturday Night Fever, where the guy's photo, his 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 headshot, which was a staged headshot, was him on a cell phone. That's Jack. No, it's from Superman too. Oh, it's it's Jack O'Halloran. Jack O'Halloran, right? <laughs> the- As you put it, I, I think it was only listening to it afterwards that I realized what you what how what you're getting at, as if. He is so important. He doesn't have time in his headshot. He's like, eh. It's great. Not only, it's so good. And you, director, your project will be less important than my phone call. And it's not like a headshot that some actors have to show like, hey, I can do kooky characters like guy on a cell phone, right? It's not that. This is like his well-lit, well-dressed professional headshot. But it's like, hey, just so you know what you're getting into, I'm going to probably be on my phone a lot on the set <laughs> dealing with my other shit. Like I got some scams going on. So I'm not going to have a lot of time to be off my phone, just yeah. so you know. So that way they, he can be like, look, it was right there in the headshot. I don't know what I, part of it you were <laughs> expecting was going to be different. Um, uh, John DeCino. John uh, DeCino. Great job as the asshole. Even John DeCino, his asshole, his jerk is given some... So this movie, well, he has to me, a turn. He has which a turn. I was not expecting I wasn't from this character, it. this movie to yeah. me is all about 
revenge, regret, um, allowing your anger to take over you and, and how that will destroy you. See samurai quote from before. So John Takino, this guy runs over this kid. First of all, uh, what, what is his name? Uh, you mean the actor? The actor who played the kid. I was so impressed with this kid's performance. And he has a, no offense to him, a not particularly impressive resume. Like this was definitely his high watermark. But I thought he was so winning and alive and convincing in this that it was really shocking that uh, well, Chris, he never got like another name again. <laughs> What'd you do, Daddy? Once the other kid came out with the glasses and the That's blonde true. bowl cut, Peter I mean, Billingsley. Peter Billingsley basically killed the market. For if it wasn't this for him, look. I'm surprised that he didn't win an Oscar for this. What's the movie that and Peter then Billingsley Anna Paquin would not have uh, been the first. Christmas Story is 83. So actually, no, Peter Billingsley had already set the market for being the blonde kid with the glasses five years before this movie even came out. So um, So he's too late. But man, the kid does a great job. Matthew Hurley, if you're out there, if you're listening, I see that you've been active as recently as 2017. However, there was a large gap between your last film credit, which was a crowd listed as crowd. I don't know how one actor is, it can be a crowd. (laughs) That's how impressive he is. He also uh, played a skater dude in 2005. So I guess he was born in 1979. So how old math time, Chris? 79 yeah. to 2018 43? is- Jesus, how did you do that? <laughs> Seriously, I'm, that's impressive. 79 to 2000. Yeah, how'd you do oh, that? Oh, am I right? I don't know. I, I just guess. assumed you were. It's like 21, uh, 49? Wait, oh, come on. You really <laughs> just made that up? 39, yeah. 79 to 89, 89 to 99, 99 to 2009 would be 30. Right. And nine years to 2009 is 2018, so 39. Yeah. Right. What did you say first, 43? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you got that right right away. I've you know, it. I wasn't even listening to the question. I thought you were saying, like, well, how old was he when he was in Pumpkinhead? The other day I was walking home from work, and I overheard two girls talking um, about a math problem that they had gotten in school. And one of them said something like, he didn't know what um, – it was like what nine times 55 was. And in my head, as I walked, I, I solved the problem. Like, yeah. I did it by saying, well, if it was 10 times 55, it would be 550. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, but since it's one less than that, it's nine less than 550. That means- Well, 55 less than 900, that. <laughs> wait, 550. 55, 55 times 10. No, 55 times 10 is 550. Right. Minus nine- yeah, is the is what the answer is, and I'm looking for. I thought nine times fifty nine times fifty five. So is, if you get to five hundred fifty, take one of the fifty fives away, not one of the nines away. No, no. If I take one of the fifty fives away, I'm removing ten from from the sum, not nine. Nine. T- Think of it this way, Chris. Here's fifty five of something. Yeah. Think about that nine times floating in the sky. Okay. Uh-huh. I've taken one of them away. Uh huh. No, 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 sorry. 55 <laughs> is floating in the sky 10 times. Yeah. But I've taken one away. Now yeah. I've got nine. Yeah. 55 is in the air nine times. Yeah. So the easiest way to arrive at that sum yeah. is to think of 55 times 10 is 550. Right. Minus nine is 541. Yeah. And that's what that's the solve that I came up with just walking down the street. And I thought, wow, I've come a long way. Well, but not all the way because <laughs> that's not the right answer. Wait, are you sure? Nine times 550. No, 
Oh, wait, nine, nine times 55 is 505. Yeah, 495. Sorry. Oh, 49. smart guy. But it's not 500. What did you say? I said it was 491. And what did you say it was? No, you said it was 541. No, no. Yes, I you did, said, say, you I did, did yeah, say that. Yeah, you took yeah, 550 you and subtracted nine. Wait, I'm sure that works. You should take 550. 550 minus nine is 541. Right. That part is, I got right. But that's wrong. If well, you try to be right and wrong. <laughs> See, this is what this movie is about. <laughs> John DeKino had a perfectly good reason oh, for not math. wanting to. No, wait. <laughs> Do you want to get that? Because if my father, sh- I mean, he'll never listen to this, but he would be appalled. That Why, is he a mathematician? Amateur mathematician. Amateur mathematician? <laughs> like, just for fun. So, fi- 55 times 10 is 550. Correct. And then you take 55 away. Oh, Because you only okay. want nine you're of right, the 55. You're right, you're right. Okay. Now I see it. But see, look, this is, this is a, a gap in my education. Okay. I see what you're saying. You're right. I almost had it. This is what used to frustrate my, um, my high school physics teacher. was also frustrated me and I'm not even. (laughs) I'm sure. I had a high school physics teacher who was the nicest guy in the world. And he was also my homeroom teacher. Every class that I took that was math-based, I failed through grade school and high school. I did extremely poorly in math. When I got to physics, all of a sudden, I loved it because yeah. there was a part of it that was conversational, that was story-based, that was about elements in concert and conflict with each other. And there was a part of it that wasn't just math. Yeah. And so I could, there were concepts to be talked about with words. And I was so good it's at that part of it. And applied. And applied. Yeah. However, in order to prove those concepts, you have to do math. And right. I could not do any of it. And I would go after school and this guy would tear his hair out just like, he could not understand how I could not get it. Much like you just saw a small example of that in right. real time. He was like, how do you not understand this stuff? And I think, I know, I'm so sorry. And, and when it came down to it, he gave me a D, was it a D? I think it was a D plus. No, whatever, what's what's less than getting an F? What's the least less than an F? D minus or D plus? D minus. I got D, D minus is I got closer to an F. I got a D minus. Well, and he gave me the D minus. He said, I guess? "He said I should have failed you because you failed the class. You did not. <laughs> you you got a failing grade." He's like, "But you worked really hard to do that, and I can't penalize you for that. So I'm going to give you a D minus." And to this day, that's the that's the grade I'm proudest of, which is kind of sad. Now I was about to say, sad you know, story. I, Talk I about your sad got you life. Cut that How about out. That? Anyway. Uh, with John DeKino, he and Kimberly Ross played against each other. Great, because he definitely got the better written part. She definitely did a better job acting it. Yes. So they sort of brought them to this, out. balanced out yeah. between the two. And like you said, there were all of those, and you find those reasons why he would, you know, so he hits the kid with his motorbike accidentally. Yeah. It actually doesn't look too bad. I actually kind of, yeah. if it wasn't that, it would have been like a stiff wind that blew yeah. 15 <laughs> minutes later. That kid must have been at death's door if that little tap oh. uh, killed him. But, you know, so you see it and it's just like, oh, what a, what a jerk. And he just leaves and you think like, oh, he's just scared. And then, you you know, he mentions later he has been drinking. Mm. Uh, and you're like, oh, well, okay. So I can, under, you know, understand a little bit. You find out later he had been in another accident recently. You find out later that he's on probation. Like, the doling out of those yes. things, it doesn't ever excuse him, but it, it gives more context to him in a way, which again, just made it a much more interesting character than, than that yeah. had a right to be. And you're absolutely right that she, from the moment she came on screen, there was just something, it was such a th- obvious seeming role. 
And yet Kimberly Ross made it that much more human. Well, here's a rabbit hole for people interested in Kimberly Ross a little bit more. I went down this rabbit hole last night. I don't know if you did. Yep. You know, she was married to a famous boxer from the 80s named Bobby Chiz. Um, And he's got a crazy life story. And there's actually an article about Bobby, which mimics exactly the recent shaming of the Cosby Show actor. Did you see this article? No. So you remember because the Jack- I had only seen that he did, he only had one acting career. I actually didn't go yeah. that far down. I didn't realize he was a boxer. He, he was a boxer from New Jersey in the Got '80s it. who was who was a charismatic uh, kind of character. And there's a, there's a great article that is exactly the same story of the recent Jeffrey Owens shaming by Fox yeah. News, uh, saying, "Look what look this this famous actor is now bagging groceries at Trader Joe's." Right, and that whole thing occurred. Correct. Well, Bobby Chiz is also bagging groceries. Um, and had a big profile written because uh, a New Jersey reporter happened to be in line at like a shop right and recognized him uh-huh. and ended up going out to dinner with him. And he's got kind of a sad current situation where, excuse me, he's got a number of DUIs. It seems like he's an alcoholic who is still drinking and does so in this article um, yeah. and is uh, kind of still an odd and compelling combination of still moving forward, yet trapped in the past, mm-hmm. the success of his past. It's kind of a compelling story if anyone's interested. Oh, in that sounds actually, that sounds fascinating and, and so sad. Yes. I guess this is true in all horror movies. If you're an actor, you want the bad, you want the bad guy part. Like you don't want to be Jeff East yeah. wearing sweaters and doing the right thing. Yeah. You kind of want to be John Tacchino, the bad boy. Yeah. Even though- as a bad boy, he's- He's not, the, you know, I mean, he does kill somebody, but other than that, he could be worse. That's true. You know, you were talking about the different character beats that are rolled out for him. You're right that in a less good movie, all of those story beats that you mentioned could have been mentioned in the scene where, where we're introduced to him. Yeah. Well, we're introduced to him before we see him because another couple in the larger car towing the motorcycle says, Joel's such an asshole. And the guy's like, no, he's not so bad once you get to know him or something. And then we cut to Joel- with Kim in the car, and he's like, hey, babe, get me a beer. <laughs> like, in a lesser movie, she could say, get you a beer? You're on probation from that time you hit that girl in the in an accident. Yeah. You can't have a beer. And you also were, like, you do all of it right there. Yep. And then we know exactly who he is. But no, none of that happens there. The first thing we just see is the bravado. Yep. And it's like, eh, tearing off on his dirt bike. And then, as you say, the other story beats unfold. And yeah. then he has his turn, unfortunately, just before Pumpkinhead's about to come through the door. And- one part that I laughed at, and I said to you before, I to me, the reason I like to watch horror movies is I like inventive kills. I think uh-huh. that's part of what I want in a movie. Oh, then you want to see the Leprechaun series. Uh, I do want to see the Leprechaun series. <laughs> but the one kill that I did enjoy, there were two kills that I enjoyed. I mentioned the rifle kill. The other one, when Maggie was killed, who's the first kill, the blonde. Yes. Uh, there's a hilarious shot of her legs going over the roof of the cottage. Did you notice that at all? I just, I laughed out loud. It was great. <laughs> Maggie, wait! Um, since I so recently watched The Thing, yeah, I it kind of ruined guy-in-a-suit horror movies for me a little bit because it's such a guy-in-a-suit. But it was a cool-looking suit. Like, I, I liked the design of the monster. Did you feel uh, that it was-, was a character? I didn't feel the monster had a personality, like the alien monster 
or even like the shape-shifting monster in the thing for that matter? The short answer is yes, but some of that had to do with things that I liked about the the direction. Uh, there was a shot just after Pumpkinhead had killed- Maggie. Maggie. Yep. As he is killing Kim, played by Kim yep. Ross, he like grabs her and then he's like sitting up in a tree, almost yeah. like a cat, dangling her. Yes. And the shot is from below and from far away. So you just have this sort of yeah. odd, distant look. And he drops her on the rock. And then he drops her on the rock. <laughs> Which, you know, not while not inventive, the fact that he doesn't just slash everybody to death, I thought was cool. And everybody he would grab and drag for a little bit. That to me seemed very much part of the idea of vengeance, Mm. of wanting to to drag it out a little bit, to make it longer, as opposed to the quick release of death. But that shot of the thing, of Pumpkinhead sitting up in the tree, made it feel, um, I don't know if personality is the right word, but it seemed just sort of feral or different. Like there was no particular reason for it to do it except that it kind of looked cool. Yeah. But it also seemed like, well, and I'm some, up here, you guys are seeing well, me, you're scared, you can't get up well, here. Well, practically it also creates distance from the creature so that the camera doesn't have to linger on the thing I'm talking about. It gets, the, it gets the monster away from you up in a tree. So, you know, you, who knows which of the- But he uses that to great effect. He uses that to great yeah. effect. So having seen the thing so recently where it talked about, you know, not wanting a man in a suit, I was like, as for a man in the suit, like, this looks pretty good. Yeah. And actually it's a cool looking suit. I do think that the the fact that its head was so And the shoulder bones. And the shoulder, like- What are those things? Yeah, yeah um, useless. In fact, they probably get in the way. <laughs> um, I would have liked a little more character depth to Pumpkinhead himself. I, I mean, I know, spoiler alert, in this iteration of Pumpkinhead, the the creature that we're looking at is Lance, Lance Henriksen is or, 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 or becomes him. There's an evolution that's taking place over the course of the film. Lance Henriksen starts to physically resemble Pumpkinhead. Yes. So it's not that- or, when, well, or vice I guess versa. vice versa, because you that reveal when starting to look more like him, that really was yes. was shocking. Uh, but I guess I would have liked Pumpkinhead to have a little more conflictedness about the revenge. It's, to me, it would have added mm-hmm. a layer to it if Pumpkinhead, I don't know, had a little more personality. I need a little more personality. If I'm going to get a guy in a suit, I want a little something, something. I mean, there was a little bit of it at the end, but that's really Lance Henriksen's personality. You know, but that's to me what the, the movie is about, is about this yeah. person who's like, I want revenge. And then sort of realize very quickly that this takes something from him. A man had been wronged. He could come to you. And you called upon this thing in that man's name. And that man, he'd be avenged. What'd you ask? Got him. Prize. To go a little bit into the cosmology of it, you see the um, the old witch uses the blood from the boy as well as the blood from Lance himself. Right. I guess both get poured or whatever. Put into some kind of Put chalice. A reduction. A reduction. <laughs> um, and a then put into this uh, corpse that Ed Harley had dug up from. Yes. Another great design thing. Like, yeah. okay, in the graveyard, which grave should I look at? He's like, you'll, you'll know, know what he's in. Oh, it's the one that like a huge pimple <laughs> zooms a, out of the ground. It's like a devil's tower in the middle of the graveyard. I, it's but again, I bought it. I thought it was it so was cool looking. The sets were great. And so, you know, and then puts it on. And then this, so whether that's. It uses the blood of the thing that it's revenge to give it the scent, and it's the blood of him that links what the nature of the link is, which is becoming which. I guess I don't, I'd have to think about it more to parse it out because by the end, what she ends up burying, because she, so Pumpkinhead dies in yes. the end. Uh, the old witch reburies it, 
presumably, so the next person seeking revenge. Well, she re- she buries Lance Henriksen. Well, that's what I was about to say. She reburies it, but then you re- you see because of the necklace yes, that he got from the kid Lance. that it's him, as you would put it before. Like, did he transform into it? Did it transform into him? Or did they sort of merge? Because what she's burying, it's not like she's burying Lance Henriksen. She's burying this corpse that looks more like the monster. Right. And because the necklace, the it necklace, shows we that, know it's, that it's him. Lance, Lance Henriksen's son in the movie had, had hand-fashioned him a necklace which he gave to his father in the beginning of the movie. Daddy? Hold on. I made you a present. You did? I like presents. Oh, well. Now this is something. It goes around your neck. This is something special. You really like it? I love it. You don't have to wear it every day or nothing. Just from the stretch, yeah. Give me a hug. I ain't never taking it off, punk. I'll never take it off, son. Uh, and indeed he doesn't. Indeed he doesn't. Now, he, you know, he also dies 12 hours later, so he doesn't, <laughs> I mean, doesn't get a chance to take a shower a movie, where he it's a, might. It's, it's basically a movie about like, hey, take a pause before you hit the send button here. Yeah, yes. You know what I mean? Like, you don't Very have timely. to have killed six people. You, you could have just slept on it. Look, if- Or- how about this, Lance? How about driving your still alive son immediately to a hospital where he might receive some care and be alive yeah. to this point in time? I was like, why isn't he driving him to a hospital instead of this holler? Don't <laughs> drive to the holler. You're not going to get any help there, man. Because he doesn't trust city folks. True. How great was that drive in to the holler and all the all the dirty kids sitting around? Yeah. I mean, it was so spooky and good. There's a throwaway. Well, he's not so much a throwaway character because he's pretty important into the plot, but he's certainly not one of the main characters, but he plays the... Um, the patriarch of the hillbilly clan. I never heard no such woman. Mr. Wallace, please. I can't tell you what I don't know. Bunt. Sir? Get over to the house. Well, you told me to do this first. You do what I told you, boy, and you do it now. Okay. He's played by a guy named George Buck Fowler. And if you look at his IMDB page, it's incredible. He's, he's one of these guys that I'd certainly never heard of who's probably been over 150 movies over 50 years and played the drunk on a park Uh bench or a bum and probably had the most colorful life and hopefully, you know, made a lot of money as an actor and and was a working actor. Yes. Right? At our highest, we've said it before, our highest compliment, (laughs) George Buck Fowler. Look him up on IMDb. He's got a colorful backstory. He's got a great headshot and- he worked in every kind of movie, including ones that we can't mention on a family right. podcast. As they put it in his IMDb bio, family features to sexy softcore smut. That makes it sound a little classier than it probably is. <laughs> Full cast and crew is brought to you by Behemoth from Monkey Brain Comics. Behemoth is the dirty dozen meets the fly with a little Spider-Man thrown in. Kids are turning into monsters, and the government steps in to keep things quiet. Some are never heard from again, but others are forced on suicide missions on behalf of a world that hates them, as part of Project Behemoth. Find it on monkeybraincomics.com or Comixology today. That actually brings us, I think, to the top of the line talent, Lance Henriksen himself. Yes has um, a pretty colorful backstory. Does he? And I did do a little bit of Tell a- me some tidbits. Did not learn to read until he was 30. Is that true? Yes. And actually his first play, he could not read. And he had a friend record all of the lines of the whole play and memorize it from a recording. How did this occur? 
He from he was born in New York. Father was a merchant marine, left school just because he was difficult. He joined the merchant marine himself as a way to try to get to know his father, not actually, but sort of to try to understand. Spent many years abroad and uh, in, Would this be in, in the fifties, sixties in New York? Well, let's see, he was born, I think, forty something. Uh, probably the sixties. So, 50, yeah, late fifties into the sixties. Wow, I did not know that. Um, ended up coming back to New York uh, just off a boat and happened to hear that somebody was doing a play about boats or about the Merchant Marine. And so he went to, to sort of say like, hey, you know, I've done it. And the director was saying like, well, okay, so you want to read for the part? And he knew he couldn't read. So he hmm. kept sort of avoiding the question and volunteered to do all the like building and design if he would sort of get a part. And, you know, I don't know how long after that, but he was illiterate at that point and, and taught wow. himself to read after that. That's incredible. Uh, another fun fact uh, he had prosthetic teeth. I was going to ask you about the teeth. Yeah. Now- Not real. Okay, so in this movie, those teeth were purposeful. Yes. Was it purposeful so that later on he resembled the creature more? Because I noticed the teeth only in a few scenes, but I feel like I didn't notice them in the beginning of the movie. Were the, was that part of the evolution of him into the creature that we no, were meant to I pick think, up on? Or that I, was part of him going method? I think method. that was part of him going a little bit method. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they I were a little say, ridiculous. We See, I was going to say, I thought it was actually rather subtle. Why it confused me. I was like, oh, wait, are those Lance? I was like, I think of Lance Henriksen as one of those like handsome men actors. And then there was a couple shots. I was like, oh, does Lance Henriksen actually have like really bad buck teeth? And he's sort of just always cautious to be filmed in a way not to show them. That's what I thought. Wh- and I thought it was always such a fascinating why, Hollywood like, thing. That's like a, a pretty <laughs> subtle thing. He didn't have like something yeah. weird. But he did have but like- But there was enough there that it was like, this is not what I remember. But I read that that was something that he did. And did you, so here's something that I read. Friends with James Cameron. Yeah. James Cameron, Terminator, couldn't get it funded. So he was trying to take meetings to get it funded. And he was like, My, you know, Lance, buddy, you are going to be the Terminator. I got a meeting with this Hollywood executive. Why don't you come down, put this gold tinfoil on your teeth uh, and like dress up in leather and like, and well, really is it to sell it? Lance Henriksen shows up to the meeting a half hour early, kicks open the door again with gold <laughs> Uh, tinfoil on on his teeth teeth to look robotic, I guess. But like kicks open the door, comes in, goes like sits down, again, early, sits down in front of the executive and just sort of looking at the executive. (laughs) James Cameron finally shows up, pitches him, you know, this uh, fantastic uh, game changer of a movie and, you know, gets it financed. However- However, uh, now the question is, of course, uh, that how guy much cannot that have this to do movie. with, well, he ends up being in the movie, but then Arnold Schwarzenegger well, gets involved. Right? Yeah. So he's like, you know, listen, buddy, yeah. do you mind taking Sorry. a slightly smaller role? Thank you for securing the finance. Cause, and I heard, read a couple descriptions of it. One made it sound like this was just him, like being like mm-hmm. going Method. like, okay, if I'm, I'm going to be I'm a robot in this movie that may get financed in six months, I'm I should kicking the door living, down. <laughs> I should start living as a yeah. robot now. And wearing gold teeth and walking to Hollywood, some were saying that it had more to do with, again, creating this sort of theatrical impression to, to get the money, which they did. Uh, only Lance will know for sure. Lance brings up to me what, and I love going down this sort of, this is like contemplating the universe for me, right? Yeah. When you think of an actor like Lance Henriksen, who is not a, he's not a star. Yeah. Um, and to your point, he's both unique and 
not unique. He's, mm-hmm. he's this odd combination of things. And how and why does that break through? And how and why does that resonate with audiences for 40, 50 years? There has to be more than luck, as opposed to like, it's easy to say Tom Cruise, you know, um, Meryl Streep, like- or Lawrence Olivier, somebody who like studied the craft, yes, studied the craft. and came into yes. it sort of like this. Like you said, there's some overlap between he the vagabond lifestyle. Marine ship yeah. for 50 years. But there's but this happened. And yet, you know, many things can make you be a vagabond or lead you to the merchant marine. But some, let's call it for lack of a better word, a certain soulfulness mm-hmm. probably brought him towards that. And that's that same thing, which I think would translate well mm. to acting. True. If you came to the vagabond thing because you were something of a scoundrel who just sort of liked to not pay and was sort of looking to just sort of, a, that might lead you to a career transition into, let's say, television production or <laughs> or We all know financing. the defining quality of scoundrels is, doesn't like to pay. Yeah. That scoundrel. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, unless you split that. Hey, where'd he go? Well, what is it with a Lance Henriksen? It's just that he's, I don't know, you know, it's like there are, there are um, layers, right? And and on the top layer of 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 this, you have you have stars, yeah. which don't which can and cannot be good. Like mm-hmm. some stars actually can act. Some stars are essentially just doing themselves, right. and we like that. Then below that, you have this tier of like someone like Lance Henderson has a career. My God, like it's a it's a one percent of actor's career, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? To work that much for that long. Though in, and this is not to take anything away, to work in a lot of- um, B-movies? B-movies and sort of lowbrow things. Like I wonder for, you know, I'm trying to think of what would be an example of- But isn't that more honest than like, well, I mean, those are, that's movies. That's well, an, it's I was all, all B-movies. It's not so much honest, but I think everybody, certain people probably like sci-fi and certain people don't. You know, they're probably mm-hmm. actors of a similar, let's say caliber who are just like, I don't really like doing monster movies. You know, like I think I get the sense that this he's somebody who enjoys the craziness of it. He said, you know, one of the things about being growing up illiterate, he's like, well, it's helped me with film because it makes me a visual person. Mm. I think about these in terms of how they look, they look as opposed to the words. There might be other people who just, not because any less honest, but, you know, presumably you have some agency in the kind of work that you do do. I read a quote where he was talking about how he takes every job very seriously. And he, yeah. you know, try, and it, which is, I think, a wonderful- And or takes every job. <laughs> well, that's, there's no shame that's in it. You keep getting I'm them. just saying that's well. So uh, there are certain actors me, for, that that's a thing. I re- it reminded me of an interview I read with Ben Kingsley, who a great actor, but who has also been in his fair share of B movies. Has and, he? But, sure, Ben Kingsley. Yeah. So he was talking specifically in this interview. I think of Ben Kingsley about another like, British guy making fun of him for doing species, and he actually he was I mean, talking. When you about, get like, the opportunity to be in a Natasha Henstridge vehicle, you're going to say yes. Well, I I am, uh, and apparently Ben Kingsley is. Yeah. But no, but he. So he was talking. The, the point of the anecdote he was saying was like, you know, this this guy tried to lord it over me, and I was like, look, yeah, that's all like. Like I, I make bills, no man. judgment. I will take, I will take every job I will take. I will take seriously because there's not a judgment of, there might be a judgment of the end product. Like, ah, oh, that didn't work out as well as I had hoped. Yeah. But there's not writing anything off out of a, out of a snobbishness. It well, seems to me. The other night I was flipping through the channels and a movie that I will watch all the way through whenever I come across it was on starring, starring Ben Kingsley, which is Sexy Beast. Have you seen that? I've never seen it. And oh, I, that's all, because I Chris. hear it's wonderful. And actually the pitch oh, for it sounds man. so great. He is so 
good and scary. He plays this mobster that everyone is terrified of, and he does it by, he goes the opposite way into stillness and physical presence. Yeah. Man, it's such a good movie. Ray Winstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the fellow, who, so uh, the fellow who directed that, I think, is the same one who directed Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. Jonathan Glazer is the director. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Under the Skin is based movie. on a book, Michel, Michel Faber. He wrote a book that came out a few years ago that I just was so, so blown away by. Um, that you would love, I think. Um, and since this is the way my memory works, it works by not working and not retaining things like this that many other people just could instantly. Yeah, but this is what people want. This is what the audience uh, is The Book craving. of Strange New Things. Did you read that book? Never heard. Oh, Chris, you would love this book. I highly recommend it. Published in 2014. The novel yeah. tells the story of a British missionary to an alien world. Hmm. It's one of those novels that sort of plops you down in a future. Mm-hmm. And the future is so assured in the author's mind that he doesn't explicate it for you. Mm-hmm. Beat by beat, the futuristicness of the time that you're in just manifests through what the protagonist in the book experiences. It's a beautiful, amazing, powerful, funny, great book. I hope they don't ruin it by turning it into a terrible movie. Well, funny you should mention, <laughs> Amazon did produce a pilot. Uh, uh, Oasis mm. is a pilot episode of an intended 2017 British television drama series based on Mike Michelle Faber's 2014 novel, The Book of Strange mm. Things. Scottish Chaplin, good. Waka Waka Waka. Well, couldn't have been that good. Well, is this what this might have been that era when Amazon was doing the thing where they make a bunch of pilots and let the people decide. Right, but presumably, Chris, uh, do I have to remind you what happens when we let the people decide things? Are we aren't we past that? Oh, I mean, look who the hell is president. Dem- well, you know the people. The people, people decide. Pick the other one. <laughs> That's true. The I people mean, did. <laughs> don't, uh, <laughs> don't don't knock the people in this case. Sure. You know. Well, I guess in the one of the things that I think is great about the horror genre is the real fans. And I'm, I, I'm not, I don't consider them, I'm not knowledgeable enough, but I, I like to dabble enough around the edges of it. I love the originality of, of certain takes on it. I love that it's like, here's a weird analogy for you. Horror in its own way is kind of like country music in the sense that contemporary country music um, is, is a populist genre, okay? Mm-hmm. It has a pretty limited set of tropes. You got your trucks, you got your ravines, you got your summer nights, your baseball, your beer, your girl, your guy, all, you know, you have a limited set of things. The creativity comes in assembling that fairly limited set of toys into something that captures the public imagination and can be a little bit original within the confines that are being set for it. In a similar way with horror, you basically have a similar set of confines and you have something set up where something is unleashed and is going to kill a lot of things or people in but this what one is genre. the thing? But what is the thing? What is the thing in this and case? And that's why this is super original. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the- And that's the why the thing is original. Revenge, yes, yeah. Right, because both of, they're expressing something um, human. Yeah. Um, you but know, it's a when slasher you, film. At its heart, it's a slasher film. I don't think I'd call either of these, either the thing or the slasher films, just because I, I think of slasher films as being like a human or somebody literally with a- Slashing. Slashing. Whereas these, they're more monster well, Sure, Chris, things. if you want to take it literally. If the monster is a human, a killer- Yes. That's different than a then, monster. Than it's, a monster. It's a different yeah. kind of kind of rule. Gypsy, no. Shout out to the dog, Mushroom. I, I love that. Uh, did you know that Mushroom was in Gremlins? No, I did, I did not look at the rest of- uh, 
mushroom. What do you think of dogs being considered actors? You know, we go through so many indignities. This is just one more. (laughs) Give me that dog that was in Gremlins. What was the What was the movie that we had the dog where you mentioned it was Jed, who was also um, Oh yeah. Oh, from the thing, the dog in the thing. Uh, <laughs> Dogs have careers and they fans. have these really, yeah, these really impressive IMDb pages. I love. I assume a dog. That, do you think that Mushroom had an agent? I'm sure. Like, listen, else, I, you know, I'm sure look, Mushroom would love to do it. Okay, I'm sure I just mushroom, the thing is, is that Mushroom has a very busy schedule. We are willing to offer, you know, not just the rate, but we will uh, have walkies at least three times a day. The problem that we're having is scheduling. So Mushroom brings a lot of fan base to this. If you want to avail your movie of that, that's great. If you want to go with some other dog, you should go with some other dog that's available for two weeks. But if you can shoot mushroom scenes in one day, I think we can make this work for mushrooms day right. It's like when you when when you try to book like Bill Shatner for something. Yeah. You can have Bill Shatner. Anyone listening out there, if you want Bill Shatner for anything, he will do it. If you have $100,000 for a 10-hour day, you too can hire Bill Shatner. Yeah. Literally. I'm not joking right now. That's the price. And if you pay him $100,000, he will show up. And he will be prepared to be yours for 10 full hours. That's what I was told when we tried to I was to about to Bill say, you know, I remember you telling me, that, yeah. telling me this, this story. Yeah. We tried to book Bill Shatner and he was totally willing to do it. And, you know, and a funny thing, sometimes when you're trying to book people who have larger price tags than your show can afford, $100,000 to feature Bill Shatner in an episode of a show does not make economic sense. Yes. However, to use Bill Shatner 10 in 10 different episodes for $100,000 total, that's, that makes a lot of economic sense. Right. And we had this same issue when we also tried to book the late Joan Rivers. But, but interestingly, both Shatner and Joan's people had no compunction at all about something that I think with other people, we would have buried the lead and tried to sort of be, we don't want to be dishonest, but we also don't want to really say, look, we're going to use them for one day, but we're going to cut them into 13 different episodes. So in other words, you might have, if you were that agent, you would say, well, if you're using Bill, it's 100,000 an episode. You don't get Bill for 13 episodes for 100 grand. No, no, no. These people are like, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you can own this foot. You can put it in 200 episodes. Just you pay us the $100,000. You can shave his head. <laughs> you can throw shit at him. You want to hit him like a yeah. piñata? Go yeah. for it. Those are two that got away. I wish that we had I wish that we had been able to work with Shatner. He's one of those guys you hear both things about and I have yeah. no idea which is true. Yeah. I hear that he's the nicest, pro- most professional, most prepared guy in the world and I hear the total opposite. With Joan, you only hear one thing, and it's widely known. That one thing was true. Yeah. Nicest, most professional. We ended up very nearly doing a show with Joan Rivers. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What Uh, was it going to be? It was going to be sort of a late-night variety comedy show with her and her daughter. Uh Uh-huh. That was going to be for a network. And we met with Joan. Um, our, Our creative team here met with Joan in a big conference room. We had to submit a lot of content to Joan and her people. We went and saw a show that Joan performed at, met her afterwards, um, and it was going great. Um, and then, unfortunately, she died, and that was the end of of what would have been great. Like, so many of us here were so looking forward yeah. to, to being able to just experience, like, one of these legends yes. in real time. And she could not have been nicer and more, just more amazing and open and tiny. I don't think Mushroom's price is probably the same, but I wonder if you go to like a Comic-Con and they have Autograph Alley, are there famous movie animals there in addition? That, that I've would never, be a, That I've never seen. Of- it's become a different industry. And actually yeah. this might be its own, you know, this might be a reality show in, in waiting. Uh, 
because the common conventions are now more sort of media conventions. Right. They're sort of split between the marketplace where you can buy stuff and these appearances. And I do remember talking to somebody, I hope it wasn't you. You tell me if it was. Somebody I probably who, won't remember even. No, you know, I know who it was. My, my friend Daryl was telling me about uh, Aaron Gray, who had been- Aaron Gray, sure. Battlestar Galactica. Buck Rogers. Oh, Buck Rogers. Space she, 1999. Buck Rogers. <laughs> Still in Are you sure she wasn't in Space 1999? I, I'm not sure that she wasn't, but I know you know she was I loved, a lead on I loved Aaron uh, Buck Rogers. Well, she was doing sort of the convention circuit, mm. and she also knew other people that were doing some conventions, and she ended up organizing them. Not really? like a union, but, but starting an agency and sort of booking these people. And know, this was a business for her. I know other actors. I think famously Stephen Amell, who plays Arrow on right. Arrow. <laughs> That this is also a side, business, a side business for him is that he is um, is oh, very see. involved with sort of the convention stuff and helping book people and booking people a as a group. And That's what I need, Chris. Yeah. I think a side business- Hey, this a, counts as a side business. Well, let's see. I mean, but wait a minute. I'm looking at Aaron Gray's IMDb page and I'm, I'm missing the credit here that you're citing. I mean, I see what? Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Yeah, sorry. That's, that's the full title. Yeah. Oh. Isn't that weird that we don't, I just think of that as Buck Rogers. Why does it have that- Bizarre title. I think to sell it because people sell are like, it. Wow, Buck Rogers. Like some it could guy. be a country music story. Yeah, but it's like, no, this is a guy in the future. Hmm. You're gonna want to watch this. Yeah. Wow. Look at Chris Eliza there. We're watching. We have CNN on the background here, and that's a little close. Might oh, want to. Wow. Might want to just pull back. Just, uh, you pull back a little bit. That cameraman was definitely punted. Like that son of a bitch. You know the legendary lunch. start to an that's article. Very unflattering about Joan Collins. Joan Collins Joan needs Collins. six inches. Yeah, that's the start to a famous magazine profile of Joan Collins. Ah. But it's a double entendre. Yeah, no, no, I got term. it. What it means is she requires <laughs> that the camera or something is a certain distance away from right. her. Right. But they make it sound like a dirty little joke. I'm trying to see. Uh, you know, whatever. Just trust me about Aaron Gray. Okay. I'll trust you about Aaron. I love Aaron. I mean, if you're my age, I think you grew up thinking Aaron Gray was in all the shows and movies I just rattled off. Who was in battle? Who was in Battlestar Galacta? I know Gil. I know. Um, I know what's his name. <laughs> not Gil Gerard. No, no, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was not Gil Gerard. No, no, it was Lauren Green. Lauren Green. Yeah. Did you ever watch the 19? I mean, it might have been. It might have been reruns, but I know I'd seen some. And Dirk Benedict, Richard Hatch, Richard Hatch. This is, this is like, man, I haven't seen and this like since that then. robot dog. That weird, disturbing. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. That was like what we thought robots were like in 19, going to be in the future in 1978. I bet that if this came on, I would have a transportive flashback. I'm thinking like childhood serials, like yeah. sitting on the floor of my mom's house at the time. Like, do you know when you watch certain things that you watched on television as a child? Do you have this same transport? You know what it is? I think it's because uh, the things that I sort of liked, I still like and sort of will check in with those things. Like, there's never been enough distance really to sure. create a true kind of nostalgia. Well, Battlestar Galactica for me was fraught because the um, the enemies, you know, of uh, the 12 colonies uh, were called the Cylons. The Cylons. And my name ah! is- <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for <laughs> Thanks for basically bringing up and, and representing the- I'm helping the, you the, live the, through the, it. The I'm trauma of my childhood again. because as you just- <laughs> As you just bullishly <laughs> acknowledged, my last name is Silo, which yeah. sounds like Cylon. Yeah. And in 1978, that was the height of comedy <laughs> in West Haven, Connecticut, to run around tormenting me 
by calling me a Cylon. Oh, I was born too late and not in West Haven, Connecticut. Boy, the bully side of you really came out there. (laughs) The other one you'll probably like, I'll tell you another one that I used to get tormented with. Um, Since my last name is Silo, um, they also used to call me Green Brain. I was about to, I was going to guess like Farmer Boy or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's because I committed the cardinal sin in 1978 West Haven of being what passed for smart, which trust despite me, the math story that you told. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Think about that in context, okay? That's how not smart I am and was. But in this town, that was considered an unforgivable amount of smarts to have. Oh, wow, in the country of the blind. So you, I would say something like probably still grammatically incorrect or mathematically incorrect. And someone would go, what are you, a grain brain? That's good. Like on the one hand, they have to connect silo to silo. My name is silo with a C and silos Mm -hmm. have an S. In one way, my life would have been a lot easier if, if my last name was silo with an S because everyone says my name wrong. Silo, Chilo, Cilio. Like they just assume it's Italian. It's, it gets all kinds of things. So Cylons, as you guffawed, yeah, that's what I that's what I had. So Battlestar Galactica, I think you know maybe I have it. Maybe I had allowed so maybe that. Maybe you distance. shouldn't watch it again. No, you know what? Tonight I'm gonna I'm gonna reclaim it because I can't let you hurt me that way. Bullies like you, Chris. 